Today is March 11th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour. My name is David McAdam, and I am pleased to spend another day and another year sharing the journey of reading through the great meta-narrative of the Bible together with you. We're going from Genesis to Revelation. There are some people who dismiss the importance of the Old Testament, yet the New Testament writers and Jesus himself honored the Old Testament scriptures, affirmed their divine inspiration, and he cited their importance for us today. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Of course, when Paul gave that word to Timothy, he was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures, which was the only Bible that the early church had at the time. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy in Matthew 4.4, saying, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So let's go to the Scripture, trusting that its author, the Holy Spirit, will enlighten our understanding and enable us to apply it through the grace of our Lord, our Savior, and our life. We will pick up our reading in the book of Numbers, in chapter 15, beginning with verse 17. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land to which I bring you, And when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution, like a contribution from the threshing floor, so you shall present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. But if you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generations, then if it was done unintentionally without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord, with its grain offering and its drink offering, according to the rule, and one male goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel, and they shall be forgiven, because it was a mistake." And they have brought their offering, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offering before the Lord for their mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven, and the stranger who sojourns among them, because the whole population was involved in the mistake. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat, a year old, for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among them. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord, and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off, His iniquity shall be on him. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. 
The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at, and remember all the commandments of the Lord, to do them, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments, and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Chapter 16. Korah's Rebellion Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. And they rose up before Moses, with a number of the people of Israel, two hundred and fifty chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said to them, You have gone too far, for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show you who is his, and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company. Put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, We will not come up. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, that you must also make yourself a prince over us? Moreover, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey, nor given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, Do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them, and I have not harmed one of them. And Moses said to Korah, Be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they and Aaron, tomorrow. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, two hundred and fifty censers, you also and Aaron, each his censer, so every man took his censer, and put fire in them, and laid incense on them, and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment." And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up. And the fire came out from the Lord and consumed the two hundred and fifty men offering the incense. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eleazar the son of Aaron the priest to take up the censers out of the blaze. Then scatter the fire far and wide, for they have become holy. As for the censers of these men who have sinned at the cost of their lives, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, for they offered them before the Lord, and they became holy. Thus they shall be assigned to the people of Israel. So Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned had offered, and they were hammered out as a covering for the altar, to be a reminder to the people of Israel, so that no outsider, who is not of the descendants of Aaron, should draw near to burn incense before the Lord, lest he become like Korah and his company, as the Lord said to him through Moses. And this is the end of our Old Testament reading from the book of Numbers. You will remember that in the book of Numbers chapter 14, after the tenth incident in which the people of Israel's unbelief provoked the Lord's anger, the Lord gave an oath that none of those who were over twenty years old would live to enter into the promised land. In the book of Numbers chapter 15, the Lord gives these same people further instructions pertaining to how worship is to be conducted, justice satisfied, and forgiveness obtained, when their children inherit the land from which they themselves will be excluded. Once again, we see how the purposes of God are not thwarted by unbelief. He reminds them that although the remainder of their days will be lived out in the wilderness, they belong to the land they had not possessed, and they are to be mindful of its laws. This is a reminder that all of us are accountable to the rule of God, and those of us who have been given the gift of future access are to set our minds there. We are to live with the laws of the future age affecting our present, even praying today, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We live in the present moment, but we are subject to the government of the future. In Numbers chapter 15, verse 22, 
Moses repeats instructions pertaining to the sacrifices for unintentional sins that are committed once they come into the land, but he also reminds them that there is no provision in the law of a sacrificial offering for a person who deliberately defies God's law. To do this is blasphemy, which is punished by being cut off from among the people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be completely cut off. His guilt will be on him. This reminds us that sin separates. The wages of sin is death. In Romans 6.23, our hope is not in any sacrifice we can bring. Our only hope is in the mercy of God, which is shown to us in God's sovereign loving choice to bring a once and for all sacrifice through His Son's voluntary offering to provide atonement for our sin on the cross. This makes possible a free gift of eternal life. The gift is not given on the merits of any sacrifice we could bring. God's word is not to be taken lightly. His authority is to be respected. The incident in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 to 36, demonstrates that God's laws are enforceable and will be enforced. The man who violated the Sabbath law was punished by being stoned to death just as the Lord had commanded Moses. After the people of Israel received the verdict that none of them older than twenty will enter the land, the exception being Joshua and Caleb, the Lord instructs them all to attach tassels on the corners of their garments. Each tassel reminds them of the commandments of the Lord for which they are accountable. They are to put cords of blue on the tassel of each corner. The color blue represents heaven and prophetically points to the man from heaven, Jesus Christ, who would fulfill the commandments on their behalf. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 47-49 through 49. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. In Romans 10, 4-5 As the children of Israel walked through the wilderness, they followed the Ark of the Covenant which was draped in blue cloth. The cords of blue on the corners of their garments served as an outward reminder that they were bound in identification with the heavenly purpose and the heavenly provision of the heavenly man, that is Christ. From God's point of view, those who identified with Christ by faith were cut from the same cloth and attached to all that the sacred blue, the Ark of the Covenant, represented. It is good to have reminders that we belong to the Lord and therefore we are to walk in obedience to His commands rather than following our own desires and going our own ways. Moses himself was to be excluded from the land, although he might not have realized it at this point, but he would also wear the blue cords at the corner of his garment as an outward sign of his identification with the heavenly enterprise that would come to pass in the land. Of course, in the New Testament, we see that Moses actually does make it to the promised land. He appears there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and Elijah. All the years of his wilderness wandering had ultimately led him to the Mount where he would meet the one to whom he had been attached and identified by faith 1,500 years earlier. Even in the wilderness, the sons of Israel were to live as those belonging to the land, even though they would be for a time excluded from it. They were still citizens of heaven, subjects to the government of God, 
and partakers of a heavenly calling. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. In Numbers chapter 16, we read about Korah's rebellion. Korah, a Kohathite of the tribe of Levi, conspired with the sons of Eliab, Dathan, and Abiram, and On, the son of Peleth, all three from the tribe of Reuben, to challenge Moses. The conspiracy spread, soliciting the support of 250 leaders of renown who rose up against Moses and Aaron. Moses once again falls on his face before the Lord in intercession. He then challenges Korah to appear the next morning before the tent of meeting. The Lord himself will show who is authorized for the holy leadership role among his people. Korah and his fellow conspirators were to take coals from the holy fire and censers with holy incense and appear before the presence of the Lord at the tent of meeting. At first, Dathan and Abiram refused to comply, insisting that Moses had no right to lord it over the people. Rather than lashing back at the conspirators, Moses brought his heart cry to the Lord. He pleads his case of being innocent of having caused these men harm. The sons of Korah were jealous not only of Moses' authority, but the privileges of Aaron and his sons to serve in the holy place. On the following morning, the Lord is poised to bring retribution to the entire congregation. Once again, Moses intercedes for the people, insisting that not all should have to pay for one man's sin. The Lord vindicated his authority as the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and all their households. The 250 conspirators who insisted that they had sacred rights to bring incense before the Lord were destroyed by fire that came from the Lord. Eleazar the priest takes the holy censers out of the blaze and hammers them into sheets for a plating to cover the altar of incense. This was a reminder that only those authorized by God, that is Aaron and his sons, should come near to burn incense before the Lord, or they will suffer the destruction that came upon Korah and his company of conspirators. And now our reading from the New Testament, Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Jesus delivered to Pilate. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, 
that is, the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passer-by, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. This is the end of our reading from today's portion from the New Testament. When Jesus appeared before Israel's religious leaders, he was questioned if he was the Messiah. Jesus replied with the sacred name of God. I am.
and explained that he was more than what they expected the Messiah to be. He was the Son of God, and then, in the context of the Scriptures from Daniel chapter 7, that he will return as the judge of all humankind. One day the table will be reversed, and they will not be interrogating him, but he will be interrogating them. For Jesus is referencing Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Pilate asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews, and Jesus responds, It is as you say. Mark 15, verse 2. Jesus is silent before the harsh accusations of the chief priests. Pilate is amazed. He is amazed again as the people choose to set free Barabbas, a known murderer and insurrectionist, instead of Jesus, who had yet to be proven guilty of any misdeed. The crowd did not just demand that Barabbas be freed and Jesus returned to prison, but that Jesus be crucified. One by one, Old Testament prophecies are being fulfilled. But Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, and unlike Matthew, does not reference the Old Testament scriptures. He focuses primarily on the action. The authorities bind and deliver him into the hands of sinners, who are scheming, questioning, accusing, shouting, scourging, mocking, abusing, dressing him in purple, crowning him with thorns, beating him with fists and with reeds. They whip his back with fragments of metal that tear his flesh. They spit on him and lead him away to be crucified. On Golgotha, the place of the skull, the heel of the promised seed is bruised, but the head of the serpent is crushed. All accounts of the crucifixion of Christ note that darkness was over the earth from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, from noon until 3 p.m. Some have surmised that this was an eclipse of the sun. Eclipses don't last more than a few minutes. They also don't occur at the time of a full moon. Some have thought it to be a windstorm, but Passover was in the wet spring season and not the dried dust time of year. It seems that this darkness was similar to the judgment that fell upon Egypt, the ninth plague at the time of the Passover. You remember in Exodus chapter 10 and verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand towards the sky, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. This time, the judgment was not coming down on Egypt, but on Christ, the Passover lamb, the appointed substitute for the firstborn, the Redeemer priest. When the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The thick veil that separated the holiest of all from the holy place in the temple of Jesus' day was much bigger and thicker than the one that was in the tabernacle in the wilderness. The tabernacle curtain could be folded and placed over the ark as a covering. The veil in the temple was massive, heavy, and thick, 
We are told that teams of oxen pulling on opposite sides could not tear it. This was the veil that separated people from the presence of God and the holiest of all. But when Jesus died on the cross, saying, It is finished, the veil was torn from top to bottom. The fact that it was torn from top to bottom was an indication of who did it. Through the perfect atoning sacrifice of Christ on the altar of the cross and His shed blood, put as it were on the mercy seat, justice is satisfied and mercy is released. The barrier that excludes sinners from the presence of a holy God is removed. We can boldly come to God on the basis of Jesus' perfect work of redemption. Access to the glory of God's grace is now open to all. Sinners who join themselves to Christ by faith can find instant forgiveness and acceptance. The Roman centurion seems to be the first to draw near to the holiest of all, now that the veil has been torn in two. When the centurion, who was standing right in front of him, saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. In seeing the way Jesus breathed, he heard Jesus' last words, Father, forgive, it is finished, into your hands I commend my spirit. His confession of faith is especially significant in that the only person a loyal Roman subject would call the Son of God would be Caesar. Roman coins bore the inscription, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Yet this man, having witnessed Jesus' suffering and death, was convicted to the core that Jesus was the true Son of God. And now our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 54, verses 1 through 7. The Lord upholds my life. To the choir master, with stringed instruments, a maskal of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? O God, save me by your name, and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer, give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life, they do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies. In your faithfulness put an end to them. With a freewill offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. The reading from Psalm 54 is a prayer of deliverance deliver us from evil. And the reading from Proverbs 11 is a reminder to pray that we will not be led into temptation by our evil desires and unfaithfulness. The psalmist cries out, Save me, O God, by your name, and vindicate me by your power. In verse 1, he thanks God that he does hear when we pray, for he has delivered me from all trouble, and my eye has looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. In verse 7, Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the sustainer of my soul. And now reading from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. The righteousness of the blameless refers to those who choose to walk according to the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The wicked speaks of those who choose to live according to their deceitful desires. So we win or lose by the way we choose. Do we want deliverance or do we want destruction? Will you join with me in prayer? Our Father, we are reminded that we who believe 
have been joined in identification with your Son, our Heavenly Bridegroom, and by one Spirit we have access into your Holy Presence. Thank you for your unfailing word. We cleave to all you have said and accomplished in Christ. Help us to remember. May your promises be like mental tassels that direct our attention to eternal realities. May we remember your promise that we are joined to the Lord and citizens of your eternal kingdom. We pray as we align ourselves with your eternal purpose. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's been a joy to spend this time with you today, and I pray that the Word of God will fortify you for all that is ahead. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to contact us at podcast at newlife.org. Or if you'd like a written copy of our commentary that accompanies our readings, you can subscribe by going to our website, newlife.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless you.